Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Chris Diner's Creative Friends. Uh, today it's a beautiful yet rainy day here in uh, Montreal. I'm out here on Saint Laurent. Uh, I'm gonna visit my good old friend Macer, who's a local legend, a DJ, a beauty artist, entrepreneur, a bird feeder, uh, a very interesting person. So I hope you'll enjoy our conversation together. Mesa, sharper than a razor. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. Good. Like, it's good, man. I used to love that CD with all those shout outs. Yeah. That, uh, you know, so that, that always stuck with me. It's still one of my favorite, uh, you know, dance hall reggae yeah. mixes. Yeah. Wow. That's so, that's old, man. That's like a 15 year old mix or something. Yeah. Something like that. Like, uh, crazy. I, I might've gotten it at Under Pressure one year. Yeah. Um, how long have we known each other? Uh, I don't know. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, tw 20 years? When did you come to Montreal? I think from... I for 21 years, but from my recollection, I first became aware of your DJing, DJing. and meeting you at yeah. uh, Luva Lounge or Lola Lounge. Like the name changed at one point. Yeah, Lola Lounge, Luba Lounge. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, oh, Luba, yeah. Right. On Blurry, the little one? Right. Yeah, that was before my son was born. So mm -hmm. that was, yes, I, I'd say 17, 17 years ago. Yeah, something like that. I was having okay. a solo show there and you were like the, the reggae DJ. Like, <laughs> I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. we had a Tuesday night mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then because I liked what you were doing, I remember I hired you to DJ at the Satori Movement skate premiere once too. Oh, wow. Whoa, yeah. crazy. When Man. That was around that time, 2005, 2006, yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. kind of like trying to bring that skate brand to, to Montreal. Crazy. Phil Grisset was there, I think. Yeah. Apparently there might be a picture of you, me and Phil Grisset, free wow. dreadlocks. <laughs> That's know. amazing. He still got the dreads, you still got the yeah, dreads. Yeah. I'm, I'm fucking a bald head now. I yeah. Sold out to Babylon. <laughs> uh, no, no, I envy you. I envy you in a sense. Uh, that's one attachment that... Uh, man, you know what's funny? I, I've always said that like, oh, I could cut my hair anytime. Like... Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, five, six, seven years ago, I would have been like, no, like this is, I'm really attached to my hair. Uh, this can take a lot of work. But then uh, in the last few years, I'm like, man, I don't, I, I'm attached, but not attached. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and just recently, like my hair touches the floor. Mm -hmm. It's past the floor. I've had, I had dreadlocks that were eight feet long, long taller than me. How many years? Uh, 27 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I just recently, I cut some of my hair off like this much. So it doesn't yeah. touch the floor anymore. Right. And it was, there was one dread that I cut like two feet off because it was two feet hanging on the truck. It was the hugest thing to me. Like I cried. My son was with me. I was like, yo, you got to come here. Like, I need to be with you right now. <laughs> yeah, this is no little business. No, it wasn't. A, and, and I cut it and I cried and I'm like, yo, I'm way more attached to such a superficial thing like hair but than I thought like I was. But it's like your energy to some degree. It's Just, the past. It's some yeah. kind of crystallization of your body yeah. that you did hold on for many decades. <laughs> yeah. 
and and it's okay i guess when you cut it out to honor it to feel it and to let it go little by little at the rate that you need i guess yeah um i don't think it should be though you know what i mean like i don't like i everything you say is valid 100 percent. but why should we be attached to this thing that's crystallization and that's growing from our body like why it's not functional you know it's not like cutting my hand off that would be brutal mm -hmm. you know i can't do art i can't do well i can't even chop a carrot you know like um so i understand the attachment but i don't think uh, uh i don't think i should hold it uh so sacred the attachment yeah. or the the hair both like so do you want to cut your hair? Uh, well, when I see you with no hair, I'm slightly envious <laughs> because it's like, because I realized that, uh, wow, I didn't really, I really didn't think that this podcast would take up the first six minutes of talking about hair. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, I didn't expect it neither, but yeah, you know, something yeah. we did have in common was yeah. we were two big dreadheads in Montreal. Yeah. I've had people yell at me on the street, yeah, yo, Macer, yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. hey, what's up, I'm not Macer. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Other people have told me the same thing. Um, but I, I just, um, I don't know, I, it, it scares me. Basically, what I'm trying to say is when I cut that one dreadlock a few months ago and it, and I was crying and so much emotion came out, I was like, it scared me because I'm like, I have a lot more uh, attachment issues than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. um, one to hair, but maybe to other things, right. maybe to other things. Well, that just I, the image. I think hair, at least to me, hair is image like like, yes, I was attached. Uh, and when I looked at it, and Ayahuasca many times told me, like, just cut it off. Mm. And then the next morning, I'd be all like, why? I got nothing to prove to anyone. I, I, I know I'm not, you know, superficial or this is not me. Like, I know that. I don't have to cut it off to prove my mm. own ego yeah. that yeah. I'm spiritually enough. Yeah. But then I did a really f deep 40th uh, ceremony. Mm -hmm. And it was like, dude, you really got to like, you're trying to liberate yourself from what other people think, superficiality, mm -hmm. observing yourself through the eyes of others. Mm -hmm. Cut that thing to remind yourself every single day that this shit ain't you. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't matter if you're old or cool looking or young and beautiful or ugly. You are fucking awesome and beautiful because of what's inside. And you really got to live from that inside and then out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if you can do that with dreads, do it. Yeah. But like, I think part of your process is to like, just fucking break that, uh, that energy attachment right now. Yeah. Like I couldn't even, like I say, I couldn't even imagine shaving my beard off, but, uh, I could, and maybe it would be fine. But after cutting that one dreadlock, I'm, it starts making me question myself a little bit. Like maybe, um, Maybe I'm, I, I just figure, I think maybe I'm more attached to things than I thought I was, but that's okay. It's okay to get those little jabs mm -hmm. because then it forces you to work on yourself more because we come into the, once you make this decision, like, oh, I'm not attached to something, then you don't explore it anymore because you made sure. that decision, right. you know, you're like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But then you don't explore. So sometimes you need to force yourself into exploring yourself deeper. Putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, yeah. you know, 
as non-enjoyable as it is, it, it helps your evolution and to find your strength through yeah. those struggles. Yeah. Uh, it, when I cut it once again, and uh, you know, I hope it doesn't matter that we talk about hair so much, yeah. but it was a spiritual thing. And I like, you know, I was like, oh my God, I, like my head is not perfect, it's full of bumps. Mm. And there was all these holes from decades of, of dreads. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not like I was balding, but it just was the weirdest patterns of holes all over the place. And I'm like, fuck, it just looked like I got attacked by a cat yeah. <laughs> and shit. That's why like, I, I did the tattoo both for protection, uh, but also to kind of like even out yeah. the mismatch. But actually, the hair is starting to grow again. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm like it'll come back. oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's a little bit fuzzy now in the yeah, middle. Yeah, yeah, Great. Yeah. Okay, it's, yeah. I'm regenerating. But I'm just going to shave it for at least a year. Well, I like the tattoo, and uh, <laughs> maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll I'll, I'll be there. Uh, did we'll you see. did your uh, hairline suffer from the weight? My hairline, uh, well, I don't know if it's from the weight or just age, but my hairline has gone back a little bit. I look at pictures of me from like 20 years ago. I'm like, yo, it's straight, and now it's more of a little bit of a curve. <laughs> I don't mm. know. I don't know. But so, so why do you have dreads? Uh, are you like uh, Rasta? Yeah. Well, what is Rasta anyways to you? Well, when, hmm, um, when I was young, I grew up in a very uh, densely Jamaican populated area of Montreal at the time. I grew up in NDG in the 90s. Nice. Yeah. Great so, neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, great neighborhood. I love NDG. Yeah, um, it's very diverse and rich in culture, especially in the 90s. And there were a lot of Jamaican people there. And uh, I ended up hanging out with a lot of Rastas and them being in my vicinity and Jamaican people in general, along with other people. I would hang out with all types of people. But when I was about 14, I met some Rastas who basically had the first, the, it was the first time I was ever, I ever heard about God and took somebody seriously. I think because I was a little impressionable back then as a 14 year old kid. And when I saw some people who were, uh, who I thought were just interesting, tell me their interest about God. I was like, okay, hold on. This isn't some old Italian lady talking to me about Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of Italian ladies in, in, <laughs> in, uh, in NDG also when I grew up. Um, Cause that wouldn't interest me uh jewish religion people talking to like muslim all this stuff that seems so dogmatic and yeah. structural yeah exactly and it, that didn't interest me you think of a church and jesus and you since you're a kid you see all this and like i didn't grow up in jamaica i grew up in montreal so i didn't see uh, so my religion uh, all the religious images that i saw when i was a kid was the church like you know f two year old three year old four year old as a kid you see church and jesus and all these things so it doesn't you know you're kind of jaded at one point you're like oh that's just that shit that i don't care about meanwhile the rastas are puffing joints in the <laughs> parking lot <laughs> exactly in the park actually literally that's exactly it and i started and no not girward at the time i lived below the tracks oxford park okay um, but girward park i i spent tons of time as a teen up there but in my early teens oxford park there were a lot of soccer games between the italians and the jamaicans okay so we'd go see the soccer games and tons of jamaicans out there um and um 
I lived in Oxford and Sherbrooke for oh, three cool. years. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah right across from Girard Park. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so I met some Rastas and, and I started, they started telling me about, you know, God. Okay. But relating God to Haile Selassie. And I was like, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Like, what are you talking about? And some of them, fuck, my hair's falling apart. Speaking of hair. Um, some of, uh, some of, yeah. So basically, I was like, hold on, explain this to me now um, about Haile Selassie being God. Because for the most part, a lot of Rastas, they believe that Haile Selassie was God is or the second coming of Christ. Right. right. So, so that sparked my interest. And I was like, whoa, this is this is interesting. Um, and uh, I started looking into this myself. This is pre-internet. So I was reading a lot of books. I was talking to a lot of people. And as an impressionable 15 year old at this point, I was like, OK, so I guess Haile Selassie is God for the reasons that these people are telling me that. Um, and a lot of a, a lot of it is biblical references. And so I started exploring that. And uh, long story short, throughout my studies of Rastafari, I've come to the conclusion that I don't think Haile Selassie is God any more than me or you mm -hmm. are God. Right. And uh, I know some Rastas who say that, no, he's not God at all. He's a more of a prophet. I know some Rastas who say, no, he is God. Like whether the second coming of Jesus or just God in human flesh, he is God. So my, if you see around my house, I have pictures of Haile Selassie all over. I have Ethiopian colors all over. It's, it's very uh, sacred to my heart because if it wasn't for Haile Selassie and Rastafari, I wouldn't have found God. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was my first step to, in uh, spirit to, into spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, so I hold it very sacred. Um, Beautiful. Do you still yeah. consider yourself uh, Rasta today, even if it's not a religion, but maybe like some kind of like vibration or yeah. naturality path? Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, 100. I say 100 percent, but not in the sense that. You're 100% this thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I, I open myself to everything, man. If I didn't look into every, uh, into the religion, if I didn't look into other religions that I was finally open to through Rastafari, because Rastafari made me open to the concept of God in my teens and looking into other things. Well, I guess I was more focused on Rastafari in my teens and 20s, but then later started opening up and being less uh, confined by one um, lifestyle, uh, which is how everybody, I think, should be. I think they should be right. open to everything. Yeah, like you can choose a box, but you don't have to be confined by the box. You can yeah. go and peek into other people's boxes and be like, hey, like the, the wrapper of your box is different, but the essence is always the same. Yeah. Like God is God and it permeates everything. Yeah. And we're all just trying to go back to source. Yeah. And as humans, we like art. We create art and culture and expressions of how we can envision God. And they're all beautiful, but we see what resonates more with our individuality. Yeah. 
um, like you say, you could be in the box, but like keep the flaps open, you right. know, like be accepted to other things. And like I've discovered really cool stuff with like Hinduism and like just like other concepts. Like I uh, even like even, uh, uh, you know, Satanism. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's really interesting concepts and like to some people that may be like, no, no, it's like, no, fuck that. Like God is also that. Of course. <laughs> but it's like, a, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, th I mean, I've taught my, I have a 15 year old son. And since he was really young, I've always told him that God isn't this guy who's judging you. Like God is the energy that makes flowers grow. God is the energy uh, that makes volcanoes erupt and kill people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. God is that energy that uh, makes everything function. Mm -hmm. doesn't make everything function. It is everything that is functioning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is. It doesn't, make, it's not a, it doesn't make things happen. It is happening. And that's what God is. is. So when we talk about Satanism, like as being a bad thing, you're, you're like, you know, like I'm not a Satanist. I don't mm -hmm. know enough about it to call mm -hmm. myself a Satanist. But yeah, I find it interesting. Um, the dark side of the force is a reality. That it is. It and, is. Uh, we wouldn't be here without it. Yeah. And, you know, there's lessons in everything. It's funny that you mentioned the force and the dark side of the force, because I think Star Wars is like the sickest religion. Oh, yeah, totally. Are you a Star Wars fan? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, super. yeah. Like I know you yeah. like toys and stuff, but I mean the, the just Star Wars and Yoda and well, the force, the force, you know, like, you know, when when Obi-Wan explains it in the first movie, it's like super on point. It's like it's just an energy that permeates everything. And if we tap into it, we we become our over souls and we're activated. Yeah. But there's also a dark side to it that's yeah. luring and as powerful. <laughs> exactly. You know? so it's like, Isn't it amazing? It's like, right. that's the best. That's the sickest Bible. Right. Star Wars is the sickest Bible. Totally. It's like, and when you're a kid watching this, I'm sure you didn't think of Star Wars like that. I didn't when I was. A... Not really, but it's like subtle, right? Yeah. Because uh, you're just kind of like, you're getting the message without thinking like it's a religion or a spiritual path. You're just kind of like, Okay, cool. He's got this weird intuition thing that makes him kill the Death Star blindfolded. <laughs> yeah. Because only through going inside, you can master the outside. Yeah. So that's fucking so, sick right there. Yeah. And maybe that it, it, us watching that as kids, it kind of um, um, indirectly uh, made us think of God and religion. Not, yeah, religion, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, Maybe it set us on a p certain path that made it easier to take that path when we were older. Right. You know what I mean? Like we're like, oh, I could relate this stuff to Star Wars. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so back to to um, you know Rasta culture. Mm -hmm. uh, you got. I imagine at the same time you got into reggae. And when did you start like DJing? Uh, yeah you know, reggae when did when did macer become the dj or, yeah the dj or did art come first or okay. were they hand in hand all about the same time i guess because i started yeah i started getting into well my first love was hip-hop like in the 80s when i was a little kid you know like um i think it was 86 i got raising hell run dmc album and that was 86 so i was only seven years old 
I think it was 86, 86 or 87. Run DMC, BC Boys. Are you from 79? Uh, yeah, you too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome, cool. <laughs> Are you 42? Yeah, 42. Oh, man. When's your birthday? Uh, the 3rd of March. Okay, I'm in January. Okay, nice. So you're a little bit older. Like two months, yeah. Okay, That's sick. so cool. 42 is the answer of the universe, according to the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. To uh, the galaxy. Yeah, it's up there somewhere. So but it's an important age. It's like a fucking crossroads. It has been for me. I don't know about you, but... I mean, I think we're all at some weird crossroads well, I, I guess it's right never-ending, but it's been yeah. an intense one. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Um... But yeah, we're, wow, we're, f and we only have a few months left to be 42, so let's make it count. True, but anyway, you're saying your first love was hip-hop? Yeah, yeah, hip-hop um, in the 80s, and then also through my teens, and through skateboarding. Okay, well, there's, we could branch off to the music or the art, but it all kind of coincides. Um, street culture. Yeah, exactly, street culture. 14, 15 years old, I started getting into... Uh, I started skating more and then learning more about hip hop through skateboarding. Um, I was interested in reggae through my surroundings where I grew up in. So I started listening to more reggae um, and hip hop at the same time. And I, re I knew rappers and I, but I was like, I don't know any DJs. And I was like, and I had a few records. So I bought some turntables. Mm -hmm. And I started buying hip hop records and I was really got into scratching oh, nice. like turntablism stuff mm -hmm. really got into that. And then um, I fast forward a few years, I started realizing I was listening to more reggae than hip hop. So I started buying more reggae records and I started collecting reggae records. Mm -hmm. And then I got a gig downtown in, when I was like 20 at a club, started playing reggae there. Then I moved to the plateau from NDG to the plateau mm -hmm. in 99. Um, mm -hmm. And then I started just being the reggae guy on Saint Laurent Street, you know? So mm -hmm. I started getting all these gigs, DJing up and down Saint Laurent. And um, so that's how I got into to collecting records and DJing. Just starting with hip hop, loving reggae, buying reggae, getting a gig. And now I'm still, you know, not so much now because of COVID, but like I'm still a reggae DJ. Um, and How is it being a reggae DJ? Uh, and I hate to bring up, uh, you know, race because race doesn't really matter. But mm -hmm. like as a white dude, mm -hmm. throwing yourself in, uh, you know, a Caribbean culture. Um, Does it have its challenges or you don't give a fuck or? I mean, like, look, I'm very... Uh, I'm tough skinned because I grew up in a neighborhood. I grew up being in, interest, interested in Rastafari culture, growing my dreadlocks when I was 15 years old, uh, 16, 17, around a lot of Carib West Indian people, Jamaican people. And I got tested hard when I was a kid. When, and really like, um, you know, I, 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 I toughened up quick and learned to hold my own and be like, oh, you have a problem this with this? Well, sorry, like, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this, I'm not going to stop my personal development and growth because somebody um, isn't okay with it. You know what I mean? You got to be who you are. Yeah, you got to be who I am. And like, right. And, and, you know, I did have this, like, I always joke about it. I, I always tell people that 
I was Jamaican from 94 to 2002. <laughs> you know, like I was half Jamaican, was half Jamaican from 94 to 2002. I had like this complex where like I was, I was really absorbed in Jamaican culture. And um, so that was earlier. And then so later on when I started growing older and being more in a West Indian community when it comes to DJing or trying to DJ uh, as me, like I was, I, I didn't, I mean, I felt fine with it. Yeah, you didn't yeah, think about it. No, I didn't think about it. And like, I've been doing a reggae night down the street for years. I'm very well accepted. Oh, yeah. Well, by now you're Maester. Everybody yeah. knows you and no one's going to question that. You know, no like one, you've been yeah. paying your dues for yeah. decades. Yeah. So it's not, and I'm a grown man, you know, nobody, you, you can't fuck with me at this point. Right. <laughs> you know, like, Have you ever been socially awkward or shy or are you more of an extroverted person? Because as a DJ, you got to be there in front of a bunch of people and yeah. like keep the party going. Yeah. But as artists, sometimes we don't feel that. We're kind of like, oh, I'd rather just stay home by myself. As a human in general, I'm extremely introverted. I'm always alone. If I'm not with my son, nine times out of ten, I'm alone. I love being, and I love it. I love being alone. Mm -hmm. I love, uh, I take walks for hours a day alone. I'm at my house alone. I, I, um, I don't like people knowing too much about me. But at the same time, I don't mind DJing in front of 200 people and being really out there. I don't mind every once in a while posting crazy shit on Instagram, really exposing like what I eat and what I do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, I love to be away from people. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, like I love really fancy shit and I love really like dirty shit too. Mm -hmm. So like I, I'm constantly going through this thing in my life where like there's always two, um, polarity. Yeah. Extreme polarities. And in we dance life. through them. Yeah. And see where we're comfortable each day. Mm -hmm. Um, going back to your, your youth, mm -hmm. when you, you're a graffiti artist too, mm -hmm. when did that start? That started through skateboarding. A lot of stuff uh, started through skateboarding. Um, mm. I didn't even know you were a skater. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I a skater. I used to skate until up until I was, like, in my early 20s. And then uh, when my kid started taking, when he got old enough, I was like, oh, this will get me back into skateboarding. Yeah, I saw Bailey taking him to the park. Yeah, yeah. So we, we skate together. Okay. He's surpassed me. Like, I don't do anything. I'm afraid to ollie two stairs now. You oh, know, those like knees I, are not getting stronger. I know, I know. And it hurts when you fall. It's like, so now like winters, I like going to, to the skate park with him to get some exercise. And I just skate yeah. around in circles and like, you're close you know, to the Van Horn Park around here. We live right up the block from Van Horn Park. Sorry, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. But there's a lot of people. I don't know. I yeah, like, yeah. I like having space to like. Yeah, some well, of you these can always things. find Alex Gavin in one corner and yes, go and hang out can. with him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> always. Um, but yeah, so skateboarding, uh, through skateboarding, this is in the early, the mid 90s, 93, 94. I started meeting basically a friend of mine who I skated with. He knew some graffiti guys. So and that that this one graffiti guy knew other graffiti guys. And in 94, I started writing graffiti in 94, 94 in Montreal, there was only a handful of us writing graffiti. 
like literally maybe tw 20 people 20 30 people writing graffiti so it was a very small amount mm -hmm. so i was like what is this like i've seen mm -hmm. this on like maybe re on record covers and like but I don't know, I didn't know the culture of graffiti, you know. Mm, you're still underground and it, there's no internet to clue you into everything. Uh, no, there's nothing. You have to know somebody, right? It's mm -hmm. like right now, if you're into graffiti and you live in the middle of nowhere, you could Google graffiti, you could order the best spray paint to your house, you can uh, get inspired by YouTube videos and photos, and literally within a year, you could become a master of graffiti if you put the work in. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen it happen. I've seen kids who start writing graffiti and two, three years later, they're incredible. Mm -hmm. And here I am painting for like over 20, almost 30 years painting graffiti. And I'm like, fuck, man, these kids are so much better than me. <laughs> ah, but you got something really good going, too. You're very like intricate. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like there's so much going on in your pieces. Yeah, that's well, that's what I back. Well, to rewind a bit and I'll get into that. But um, I started through skateboarding. I basically long story short, I met a bunch of graffiti writers through skateboarding. And uh, I was like, this is so cool. And um, so I started sketching and painting. And within two years, I started doing pieces. And I really got into wild style, like just crazy arrows. Like if you ask anybody in the 90s who was the wild style guy, it was me. Like in Montreal. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the whole city. Like I don't, there was nobody doing it like me back then. Literally, like I'm... That's just what it was. Mm -hmm. I was really into that. Um, this is late 90s. This is 90s. I guess you'd say 96. Yeah, mm -hmm. 96 to like 98, 99. I was really into wild style, crazy mm -hmm. stuff. But by the time we're talking, like Montreal went crazy. Like there was, when I say a handful of graffiti artists in 94, that moved to a bigger handful in 95. And by the time 96 to 97 hit, there were hundreds of graffiti mm. artists. It really went quick, you know? When did uh, Under Pressure start? Something around there, right? Yeah, 96, I think... 96, 97, the, 98. I think the first one, well, I remember the first one I was there, uh, Mount Royal, uh, we must have been about 17 years old. So I, that's 20, I think Under Pressure just did their 25th anniversary last year. Yeah, I think so. So I think it started, under Pressure started a year into my graffiti career. Uh -huh. That's so crazy that there was a graffiti festival that early on. Yeah. It probably, I don't know, I'm sure there was other things happening around the world, but that's cool that Montreal was like in on this thing and supporting it well from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, like and corporate sponsors and happened. They were giving big parking lots when it was on Guy there. And, and yeah, like that's really cool. It's yeah. true, eh? I never thought about that. Yeah, and no, I always felt Under Pressure was special. And I'm, I'm happy it's still going in whatever version mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. it has to happen in this crazy world. Mm -hmm. So you, you were painting walls and you never like, you know, did you ever take that into a more uh, commercial place in art or at least the side of graffiti or you just kept it in the streets illegal um i mean i i think i i was in i was never like a big bomber i never did a lot of illegal graffiti but i did do my fair share like uh um but i was never up like if you ask anybody from the 90s how up in the city i was people would be like oh, he, i've seen a few throw-ups you know mm -hmm. like i was never really but keep in mind, like, 
graffiti in Montreal in the in 96 97 it was destroyed like people were bombing every it was crazy I can't imagine this is like the demo era and guys I don't want to start mentioning names because there's tons of names but there but there was some there was a, a bunch of guys who were like going crazy uh -huh. um so my shit would never really stick out too much and I got a few gigs and stuff, but I never really made art a career still to this day. Like I make money off of art, but it's not like my main focus. Like I, you know what I like doing? I like, uh, when it comes to art, I don't really, I do what, what is comfortable to me. I have nothing to prove. I don't really try to progress. I naturally do progress. But I take art as something enjoyable. I like to, like, I'm sure you, you, um, it's a source of income for you, but I'm sure there's some things you really enjoy and there's some things you don't enjoy as right. much. You know what I well, mean? Well, there's different branches to the trees and I do like doing a, a cool graphic every now and then, but mm -hmm. all I'm doing is graphics. I'm like, okay, well, I got to go back outside and paint a mural. Yeah. But if I'm only painting in the sun every day, I get tired. Yes. I want to go back to the studio and do yeah. a canvas and maybe be doing like one style and be like, uh, I already kind of like crushed that style. Let's do a style that I'm bad at. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do the bad painting and be like, okay, that's not that great, but I'm playing mm -hmm. and expressing myself. And as you're saying, like I, I I don't have to prove myself anymore. I guess like naturally mm -hmm. I still want to show my work and progress in my career, but I don't want to be in a competition with no artists out there or even with myself. Mm -hmm. I just want to have fun and express myself. And yeah. if I can make a living from it, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I feel the same way about, you see how you have different types, like painting murals. Sometimes you, you really want to paint murals. And sometimes you want to work inside and sometimes you want to do this style of art. I look at my whole life as art like that. I'm like a life artist where sometimes I want to cook. Sometimes I want to walk on the mountains. Sometimes I want to feed birds. Sometimes I want to do graffiti. And when I do do graffiti, when I do do my visual art, I want it to be as free flowing and effortless as possible because I'm not trying to, uh, I, like I said, I'm not trying to become a famous graffiti artist. You know what I mean? I just like doing what comes naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, and you know, that's one of my art forms is doing graffiti. The other art form is making smoothies. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I, I think, I think we're here on this planet to, to make art in a sense um uh, and art is up to your interpretation you right. know what i mean well you're keeping it pure because say a lot of us artists that have turned into a career sometimes it can take away the joy of it yeah you know, i have so many like uh, young artists hit me up being like hey how do i make money from my art and i'm yeah. like okay i get it you'd like to get paid for this thing that you love to do um so you can keep on doing it more like mm -hmm. that's why I do it mm -hmm. but don't miss out don't sell out the joy of simply making it because you gotta make it too quick you know keep on making it and a lot of these kids also are not that good yet so it's be like just keep on making it yeah you know have fun 
And once it's like so good, it's undeniably like, you know, it'll be effortless to like try out and sell and make a living from it because you'll have something special to offer. Yeah. And it's not so much more of a natural way to have like when you start your artistic career by like, okay, how do I make money off this? You're going to fuck yourself over because you're you're only producing art to make money right it's not the right intention no it's a horrible intention because then if that starts rolling and working then you basically just have a job yeah you know what i mean like you have a job that you don't totally enjoy doing mm -hmm. um but when you start just producing art and really uh producing what comes out of you naturally and then people start gravitating towards it and then it's then it's not a job then it's like you're making money off stuff you love, off things that you love to do. Right. And that's what happened to me because Amazing. I do make money off of art. Um, it's not anything that I push too much, um, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, and when I do do it, people, um, the people who hire me, uh, hire me for what I can do and for my eye and for what I can um you know, if I walk into a space, they appreciate my uh, they appreciate my eye and uh, what I could do for their space. Mm -hmm. And that's so natural to me. It doesn't happen all the time, but that's OK. I'd rather I'd rather people who really appreciate me for my eye to come in and make their place beautiful than um, than people appreciate me for some forced thing that I do that I don't even not it's not even natural but I'm like yeah this could work this could work and then I getting all these gigs all over doing shit that I don't even really like you know mm -hmm. it's like DJing too I, I relate that to music like I've been in positions where I'm playing bullshit I don't even like and I'm like well, for like 400 bucks I'm playing this shit like I'd rather stay at home you know mm -hmm. what I mean but when I'm when I'm playing music that I really enjoy um you know I, I that's that's great Pe and people enjoy the music that you're playing for them and mm -hmm. they're giving you money it's like yes this is nice right that's the the perfect combination yeah. doing yeah. what you're passionate of and getting paid on top of it you mm -hmm. want at life yeah sure just stay grateful for it and keep it going i yeah, guess exactly so you were djing a lot here in montreal and you're doing graffiti when did you get on Cops Crew? What was Cops Crew mm. and what's of them today? Because I remember back yeah. in the day, Cops Crew was like the biggest, coolest, yeah. you know, situation, making all these crazy art parties. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, you were like a big part of it. Sure, that was such a cool era, man. Um, <clears throat> Cops Crew basically started uh, with um, my friend Seki and me. And this other kid burst. We had this little crew called uh, BTM, and then eventually BT. Well, then eventually it was just me and and well, yeah. Well, there was a few people in BTM. There was a few people in BTM, but then um, basically it whittled away to me and Seki. And Seki was like, "Yo, we should or Sek, like you might know him as Sek. Yes. Yeah, so Sek was like." we should start a new crew and uh he came up with kop 
and he was like okay so that's it like we started this new crew and basically we met a few guys that you know for sure you know them um from dawson mm -hmm. this so this was i guess this was about 99 ish uh and there was a crew called ai back then who was like um I might get some of this wrong, but like the AI thing and who was in AI, but basically some kids that we met like morons and Spectre and, uh, it was product product Neos. Joey, yeah. Who else was, uh, uh well, there's, there's Abra was the Abra. Boxer. Yeah. Abra. Um, basically we KOP ended up being, me and Seki and we put a few other guys down with it and and through those guys we met other guys and within two years or something two or three years we had this crew that was like a mishmash of people from different areas um different styles and a lot of the guys like uh i think like i think a lot of the guys took a heavy influence through from uh, other other yeah he was like the the you know not he was part of that crew but he was kind of like the inspiration the gr the grandmaster or something yeah i think he was the inspiration for a lot of guys like product and and uh and man like everybody on yeah. that side of the crew like the whole like moron specter product mm -hmm. uh neos thing like we were all into graffiti but those guys were more into like really cool characters, characters right yeah, him and labrona labrona yeah. yeah exactly so um leak a guy named leak uh they, all these guys from from our crew started doing that and but they had graffiti in them so they yeah. were doing they'd go out and do like really cool characters on uh -huh. the side of buildings on rooftops and nobody was doing it that at right. that time except very, it other. Was, it was very unique. Uh, sure. Product was in my in my class in mm. Dawson when mm -hmm. I uh, when I first got to Montreal, mm -hmm. and he totally didn't fit in. It was illustration mm -hmm. and design, so it's yeah. very like presentation and cleanliness, and <laughs> you know you're selling a product, mm -hmm. and he'd show up all like. Fucked up, dirty hair, and, yeah. and stinky, yeah. and and draw monsters and yeah. stuff like that, and it was fucking sick. He was the best artist in the class. Yeah. But the teacher was like, "Yeah, but today you gotta sell UPS on this poster, and yeah. you just got this weird graffiti." And like computer class, forget about it. He just sit there being like, "I can't do this shit," and <laughs> eventually he got. I guess dismissed or something and uh, actually morons yeah. quit the day before he graduated too <laughs> really? as a fuck you to the system <laughs> but awesome. I, I went to their house once because I like a yeah. uh, uh, product and me had a a, a, um, a, a, pro a school project where he had to do a, a portrait of me and I had to do a portrait of him and mm -hmm. each other's styles cool. so he took me to his house and I was like with all these graffiti cats and he was just yeah. telling me like, ah, oh, I just went to jail for, yeah. I got busted. It's like, well, these guys are hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. And we yeah. were always getting thrown into jail. <laughs> all of us. Fuck, yeah. It was, it was like the, the cool hardcore crew. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the project was very interesting. Uh, I learned a lot by hanging out with him and I, I, I should really get him on the show. I just kind of lost oh, a little man. bit of touch. I saw him the other day. Okay. What's he up to? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's an interesting guy, man. Of he's an course. interesting, he's definitely an artist. Very, <laughs> he's, he, he's the epitome of the artist yeah. but on one side of the spectrum when i teach my my, my classes mm -hmm. i say like an artist can have like you know the 
the right brain, I think, is the creative side with the, where you rock at art. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other side of the brain that we need to like answer emails and be organized yeah. and look and research a gallery and how to hip him up. And then, yeah, know, I don't think he has that part. I don't think he's got that part. I think that's what makes you a really successful artist. Like you, you, there's that bat, like you, you got to have both parts. <laughs> right? right. And there's some people who only have the other side. That yeah. Are really good to be in with the galleries, yeah. but they are kind of not that great. Yeah. But Introduce that guy to product and they'll be on fire. You know, Dude, like it'd be great if all all of us artists had some kind of manager taking care sure. of business so yeah. we can just fucking do the, the fun yeah, part <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah so back then that uh, um yeah so you you i mean you experienced the crew f firsthand like um and, and we were we really separated we didn't we didn't separate ourselves from the Montreal graffiti scene, but we were definitely our own entity in the Montreal graffiti scene. I mean, I'm the more conventional uh, throw ups, tags and dope pieces type of guy. Like I come from that background, but these guys um, were that weird. We, yeah, weird, just weird, just weird, but in like, a cool way. Sure. And yeah. they were doing really cool shit. And like it, it really. Uh, we made an impact on the Montreal graffiti scene because we were so different. Mm -hmm. um, and like, uh, you know, half of us were like all vegan. And this is like 25 years ago, you know, 20, mm -hmm. 12, 12, over 20 years ago. Vegan, hippie type, uh, artsy street, uh, street guys like getting thrown in jail. We really like were so when I really think about it, like we were so different than everybody like, mm -hmm. and which was a, a blessing and a curse but overall a blessing um and uh yeah so cops crew and then uh we started you know we were just a crew it went from a graffiti crew to just a bunch of guys hanging out and musicians and uh djs so naturally we were like okay let's uh w we had a little art gallery at one point oh cool two different art galleries actually and uh we started throwing parties um we were like yeah let's make some money so we'd throw parties and put all our resources together we had djs and bands and uh those parties were really awesome they were fun I right went to a few of them for sure yeah so big loft art everywhere yeah. very a uh, lot once again other when i first arrived to to Montreal and he had these warehouse parties at their, I guess their, where, their I guess, giant loft they lived in, in Greffintown and art everywhere. Uh, yeah, 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 okay. And that's where I met, you know, like all you guys in, on the walls. Yeah, yeah, sure. That was super special. Um, um, and I guess at one point they really just went on their own side and it stopped yeah, being a thing. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, people get older, start getting married, having kids, uh, jobs. Well, not so much jobs. I can't, really, <laughs> I can't really think of any of us who got like conventional <laughs> jobs. More like married and kids and stuff. Or in and, deep trouble. Or trouble. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I mean, that, that, that was, we're talking, we started that when we were like 17, 18. And like it started tapering off when we were in our early 20s you know so people are starting to separate and um and that's cool like it was it was a it was a thing it was what it was it was amazing we made an impact we had a lot of fun mm -hmm. and uh, i still love all those guys and we bump into each other i was just with morons this summer 
you know, I still speak to, you know, Spectre's been in New York for years, but he comes back and visits me and we hang out, uh, hung out with Comos, uh, all the, you know, Heck. it's still, a f it's still, a, um, there's still a lot of long distance relationships. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about being an entrepreneur. You've had a couple businesses. One yeah. was the, the local jerk. Local jerk, yeah. And then you have a clothing brand called the Love Battalion, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And tell me a little bit about creating your own brands, ups and the downs, of yeah. growing down and doing your thing. I mean, it's the only thing. Like, I, I've never really had... The last time I had a real, a real job was in 99 i worked as a dishwasher in an old folks home in westmount <laughs> okay so that was 23 years ago um other than that i've just i've always i just i'm a hustler man like i i i, I don't like working for other people unless I really look at it as my own business. You know what I mean? Like I do work for other companies, but as like a, sometimes I'll, I'll work for other companies, but as, um, as a, uh, individual. Yeah. You know, like, a, as my own company, bringing my skills to the table for that company. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I still do. They're not your things. boss. No, you know, You're like, client. yeah, exactly. And it's always been like that. And so like, I, I've always, uh, Man, I've had so many little businesses <laughs> throughout the years, and um, most recently, the I yeah I I opened a restaurant with a few friends um, that was doing really well, and we ended up closing. But I'm I, people are always like, oh, the restaurant closed. That's that's too bad. I'm sorry. I'm like, no, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. I had such a good experience. It just wasn't really making enough money. We had a lot of clients, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the restaurant business. I realized to open if I were to open another restaurant, I would do it alone. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would splitting work. the profit and free was probably difficult. Splitting the profit with people who aren't working there and who are just owners. Like we all invested money, and then we were meant to split money at the end. It's like that's not the way to do it. Yeah. Unless you have some big, extravagant, crazy restaurant that's making like, yeah. you know, $30,000 a, a weekend. Like that's one thing. But mm -hmm. we were a little restaurant. I wasn't working there. If I were to open a restaurant again, I would work there. I would own it and work there. So at least I make my salary and every any extra I put in my pocket. But mm -hmm. anyway, it was a great experience. Close and what was down. it? Beef jerky? No, it was local jerk. It was a, uh, it was, we realized that in the plateau, there was no West Indian, like roti jerk chicken type spot. Right. Um, so a friend of mine, Chris approached me and he was like, Hey, I got this idea for the rest for a restaurant. And I was like, Oh, it's a good idea. Um, and I was into it, but then we ended up getting two other partners involved and um also it's four people yeah it was four people so it was masturbator yeah it was chris masturbator yeah. that's not his actual real name just <laughs> for anybody but he's known as that he's a dj is art, his artist name um and then two other people you probably don't know okay um but uh yeah it was called local jerk because chris wanted to do jerk chicken there uh, -huh. uh so i think it's a, he came up with the name and i think mm -hmm. it's hilarious um 
I'm vegan. Half the menu was vegan. Uh-huh. I think even more than half the menu ended up being vegan, and Chris was down with that. Like he, he we accommodate. We wanted to accommodate everybody. Um, but then uh, it fell apart and uh, fell apart. I don't know if it fell apart. We made a decision. <laughs> we made mm-hmm. a decision to to abandon ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before COVID? Right before COVID. Okay, so it's a good time to do that. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, but some people are making a lot of money with COVID doing deliveries. So, yeah. I don't know. So that was, yeah, that was fun. I learned so much. I'm really grateful for the experience. Uh, I own a brand called Love Battalion. Um, that was super fun. Like I never thought of, I never thought I would be, I really like clothes. Okay. I really like you, you won Montreal's best dress. Best dress. For, yeah, for that's years, so funny. Right? For years, people kept voting me as Montreal's best dress. On the newspaper. Like, I was like, I dress interesting. I don't know best. I but always see you in white t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always only wear white t-shirts. That's Monkey's so funny. working so hard in style. And you're, you're taking the crown. Oh man, <laughs> hell yeah, it comes natural. But I find that clothing because I have such a passion for graffiti. I find that clothing is is the same i I really relate graffiti and clothing Mm -hmm. together with like colors you know like matching colors um with the human body it's like a graffiti letter you know like uh, uh i think the way that you dress the human body is like stylizing a letter mm-hmm. you know like an a could look like this or a k could look like funky like that whereas if you put certain layers on the human body however you move gives it this graffiti gives your body like walking graffiti mixed with the colors you know what i mean mm-hmm, totally yes yeah, so fashion I, is an artistic expression as much as it's been hijacked by very superficial people wanting to make a lot of money from it but right. my, my ex-wife uh, studied f- uh, fashion in belgium and she wanted to like make clothes and stuff but that's just the industry just was not for her yeah and i could imagine so what that i thought well at first i was like i want to design clothes like nobody makes pants like this um i'm gonna design pants i never did that i don't know what the hell i'm doing <laughs> i designed pants that i knew i wanted to wear um sold tons of them i designed a really dope jogging suit that i never saw in my life i never saw anybody with this idea I designed the jogging suit last winter, sold tons of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I obviously like, and I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And like, I see, uh, you know, I like the color purple. So I did a purple hat with white embroidery or a purple sweater. I like yellow. I did yellow and white. I'm like, I don't really see yellow and white hoodies. Let me do this hoodie and slap a logo on there. And it worked. It's like, so. I mean, as an artist, you just as a visual artist, you can apply that to so many things. You could you could you could be really into graffiti and be like, yo, you know, what would be dope a building that looks like then whatever your graffiti taste is, Mm -hmm. uh, a building that looks like the letter. Sure. (laughs) You know, and and then and, and you can design that building, designing a building and designing a jogging suit are two different things. But what I'm saying, the artistic mind, you could apply that to so many different things. So I applied it to fashion and 
And uh, I came up with this. I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this brand, what am I going to call it? And I think Love Battalion is a very strong, it gives strong imagery. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think the world needs more love. Or I think the world has a lot of love in it. I think we should unleash that love that's in mm. it, you know? I love think Love is the weapon in mm-hmm. this battle between good and evil. Yeah. And yeah. we're the soldiers of Jaharmi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So when you think of battalion, you think of soldiers, you know? Mm. And but these are love soldiers. And like if I'm gonna put clothing on a bunch of people, might as well have them label themselves as a love battalion. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's just beautiful. So that's what I did. Um, nice man i like it yeah I'm so into like being a spiritual warrior sure like why not right yeah like uh, why not apply why other than just being a spiritual warrior through your day-to-day life why not apply that to uh to to everything that you can apply it to right because once again as street culture people we've lived this like you know on the streets where there's tensions and there's fight like i was in a street guy when i was uh, younger mm-hmm. and i loved it mm-hmm. you know like I, I wouldn't throw a rock or a brick at a person anymore or hate them because they're, they're from a different soccer team is that makes no sense but when i was a kid it was very exciting to be yeah. in that whole war thing but now i can use that same mentality of like okay there's a war between good and evil on the planet and i want to use love compassion, understanding, um, gratitude, mm-hmm. uh, forgiveness mm-hmm. as a way to try to, you know, heal this energy that's dominating right now, but I believe is on its way out, yeah. kicking and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And using all those things you just spoke of is the way to do it. Nice. Um, yeah. So you owe me a hat, by the way. Oh, I got tons of hats for okay, you. Don't nice. worry. I got tons of hats for you. The thing is, I actually put lo- I was going to drop a winter line this winter, like right now. I put it on hold right now. So I don't know when this is going to drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did put my winter line on hold for certain reasons. Um, but whenever this podcast drops, check out my Love Battalion Instagram page <laughs> and website. Um <laughs> And let's see if there's some new stuff up there. Uh, I don't like putting pressure on myself to do drops, but every time I do do a drop, it's always really successful. Yeah, more I organic love it. that way. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It happens like, when it happens, and yeah. then you just, you know, take it while it lasts. Yeah. Limited and, edition. Yeah, exactly. And and I always sell out, and it's always does well. So I, and like, I, and this is like. I told my kid, like, there's so many, you could have, I always tell them this, you could have so many ideas. Uh, people have, every day, people have great ideas. You just got to do it. Mm-hmm. Do it. Fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. Just do things. And it's, something's going to happen. Some people say to me, like, oh, you're always, you always have this new project. You're always working on something. You're, um, everybody can do that everybody can always come up with and everybody already does come up with the idea but they never actually execute right and i'm a victim of that too like i don't execute half of the shit i I think about yeah just time is busy and doesn't allow for us to manifest everything we can think but like there does take some degree of personal power to be like you know what i will do that project that's being in my mind i'm not gonna let it fade away and die it's worthy yeah. of existence and you know what it is it takes that power 
but once you once the m momentum starts going once you realize like that you've oh i did that in the past i could do this it's like it's easier to throw yourself out there and just like like i don't know anything about designing clothes i was and i and i just did it i was like you know what it doesn't matter i'm just gonna do it Mm -hmm. and like hope that it works out and if it doesn't work out i end up with all these cool clothes that i design that i i you know what i mean right so you can't lose so um but it's getting i think it's hard for a lot of people you work a nine to five then you're so tired and you come home and you just want to watch tv and be in bed by 10 o'clock so you could do the same thing over again right. tomorrow so but i know that if that one person who has a nine to five when they come back home and they just uh, say, hey, I, maybe I should start a podcast like this. And they call a friend and they just do one and put it out there. And 100 people look at it and there's a few good comments. It gives you, it's like, oh, wow, I did that. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, now I want to do, let's move on to video. Like, or, oh, now I'm into video podcasts. I learned how to use a camera my friend is a singer i'm gonna go make her video right now for mm -hmm. and then i'm gonna put it out there and the next thing you know you go from this nine to five to being a video producer right and all it took was you to not watch tv that one night and do a podcast with your friend mm -hmm. and let other people hear it right which is more fun and real to me Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's something really special, uh, like avoiding getting a real job, a nine to five, as you call it. Mm -hmm. And as you said, last time you did it was when you're 19 or yeah. something like that. Yeah, totally. I remember my last job, like I got fired, it was like a call center and I was joking with the client. I was <laughs> like, oh, you can't do that. You're fired. And I was like, fuck this shit working for other people and businesses yeah. that I don't agree with and selling yeah business yellow pages who uh, gives a shit is this my yeah, life yeah. fuck it from now on i'm only gonna like work on things that i believe in mm -hmm. and probably things that are just come out from my own creativity and how much did you struggle in the beginning well when i got out of school i was like okay well, i still need money i was a tree planter that was a job i believed in mm -hmm. and yeah you got a foreman but you're just by yourself in nature planting trees and that gave me like a little you know a few g's to to mm -hmm. cruise till I could figure it out. And to be honest, I was on welfare for years mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, 500 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. So I was like very tight till I could get the momentum of my art career going. I was working mm -hmm. at my art all day long, finding mm -hmm. which magazine to get it in. The social media was not there. Internet no, was true. fresh. So I was like, where did I get it? And um, so, yeah, you just figure it out. And but it was a struggle, right? Oh, yeah. But, you know, Either way, it's blessed. Like, yeah, I was sure. doing what I loved. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. So, I mean, I think people, well, people don't have to do anything. What I do think is that there, if the, there's a lot of people out there who have these nine to fives and they're not happy um, and they can do other things, uh, but it's hard. I mean, this whole society has conditioned us to think that we have to get this nine to five uh, and they just pay you enough just to pay your bills. But then at the end of the week, you run out of the money and you need to make more. So you got to go back to that nine to five. And then you're mm -hmm. constantly just coasting in this kind of comfortable, but almost not uncomfortable position. And then you die like that. Mm. Um, and that is see, but, but some people are like, but that's, uh, that's secure. You have, at least you have your security. Right. 
if you get out of that mentality of that being security and if you get it if you realize like no i could live in some shitty apartment uh and um what most people deem as shitty apartment and cook enough food for me uh and be happy with just my little bit of food and um uh but i'm doing art all day like there's nothing wrong with that Oh, great. Sounds like a great life. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You live in a cheap apartment, but you're doing art all day and you have more time for that because you you might only work two days a week at the corner store. You know, it's like, mm. but the, you know what the problem with that is? There's comparisons. Like a lot of people would be like, oh, well, this is no good. It's like, yeah, I paint all day. Um, but look, I don't have anything to show. Like I don't... You, but you're only comparing yourself to the guy down the block who has like the fancy car. And, uh, you know, if we stop comparing ourselves to people and just, you got to look inside and say, okay, what am I happy? What will make me happy? Mm -hmm. Right. We've been conditioned to like, you know, chase this dream of material success of mm -hmm. fame. In many cases, if you're an artist, like, you know, being rich and famous and all this shit, it's mm -hmm. like, sadly as an artist, to be not be good at it but to succeed at it you need a lot of people knowing of you so then they buy the products or your art so it's a tricky but here's the thing if your sole intention is this is my point though if your sole intention is to sell your art and make money off of it that's one thing but there's really nothing bad about the guy uh who uh rakes people's leaves and shovels people's snow and makes art in his little apartment mm -hmm. and the art goes nowhere right there's nothing wrong with that it's like that song uh, lucy by aesop rock was it okay yeah well i don't know it's the a lyrics. song about an artist and it's like this shy girl that can't even look at the people and all she's doing is art all day mm. and then at the end of the song she's on her deathbed and and the nurse never even heard her speak mm -hmm. and she's like fuck, that life was amazing, you know? And the nurse like, really? All you did was looking, seeing <laughs> your apartment drawing. It's like, yeah. I did everything I always wanted to do and I did it with passion and joy. So I was like... Oh. That's my point. Yeah. So like, I know we started this part, this conversation by talking about uh, hustling and making money without having a job. But I mean, that's all great, but there's nothing wrong with this girl drawing in her apartment and uh, fuck it, even being on welfare, like mm -hmm. whatever. And, and as long as you're you, as long as you're happy, you know, like there's homeless people out there who are happy. Not all of them. Some of them are really struggling. Some people, they're homeless because they'd rather live that life. Right. And just live, sleep in the streets. No rent. Uh, they find ways to, to make little bits of money and food. Some of them are very happy and there's nothing wrong as long as you're happy. We have all this pressure and thinking like we have to make all this money or uh, that the art that you produce has to uh, generate income. It doesn't have to. It's great if you, mm -hmm. you know, I like traveling. I like, I love my apartment. I love being able to buy the food that I want to eat. That takes money. Um, so I made it, I made it possible for me to make enough money without working for somebody else. To do all to do all those things to afford all those things but um 
some people if they don't if they just want to sit around and doodle all day there's nothing wrong with that and be totally broke like i envy people like that mm-hmm. like that's a good life yeah it's true as long as you're doing what makes you happy yeah there's no wrong yeah. so tell me about your latest i don't know if it's an art project but your latest activity Sitting in the park, feeding squirrels and birds. Okay, <laughs> this is a good segue, whether you realize it or not. Okay. But because um, I really, uh, I'm a little envious of homeless people. Um, the, the ones who, who, um, who are totally happy, not having any commitments, and they could do whatever the hell they want. And I realized that <coughs> sitting around feeding birds in parks makes me really happy. And it gives me a glimpse of um, not, uh, it just get, it, make, it makes me feel free, more free than I am. Because here's my thing, when I have free time, I'm always, I, in the last few years, I'm always thinking about, okay, like I don't sit down and watch TV you know, like I'll watch some movies every once in a while, but with my free time, I'm constantly thinking like, okay, what's my next move? What's a, what's a new cool project I could come up with? Uh, what's something that I want to do? I like, I like um, forgetting about that and using my free time to just sit down and have birds eat out of my hand or watch squirrels play. Or sometimes I literally sit down on the corner of the street for three hours and I just watch people go by. Mm-hmm. I just sit there. I love people watching. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I think I, I walk two hours a day. I've been doing that for a year now. Um, and I don't bring headphones because that distracts. I, I, I'm, I think a lot. I'm constantly thinking about stuff. I like walking, not listening to music and just thinking mm-hmm. for no reason other than to just think about whatever and sometimes very I get into this meditative zone where I'm not thinking about anything (laughs) and I'm just um you know I just looking but there's no moving thoughts in my head it's like a walking meditation almost big time and then a little thing will happen then I'll start thinking about the coolest shit there's like we uh we have we take it for granted but we we can literally think about anything Mm -hmm. and that's incredible we take it for granted because we've been doing it our whole life but the 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 fact that we can think about any single thing and our thoughts can lead to other thoughts and those thoughts lead to other thoughts that give us something we figure shit out and we're like whoa i just figured out like all on your own through observing or observing or thinking you figure out the coolest concepts and like and it's just amazing that we have the power to think so coming back to feeding birds sometime or, or walking around and just thinking it, 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 it um, just exploring the mind I think is so amazing that we actually have the power to explore our mind and that mind grows like a plant mm-hmm. and and it gives us fruit like that's incredible and we take it for granted beautiful observation man like yeah it's it's so great that we can do this thing that as you say we take for granted because we're doing it non-stop but to stop and just observe it i I, I did mushrooms last week and you know 
it reminded me of, you know, when I was 20 and I first uh, was smoking weed and then I'd just lie there and, and think. Mm-hmm. And I never really did that. You never just kind of like stopped and, and did nothing and just, fe- you always had to do something. You mm-hmm. watch TV, you read a magazine, you go out skateboarding, you do homework. You got to have an activity, but there's never this just stopping and just like observing, no. which is meditation, but I only found out years later. Mm-hmm. And through like doing mushrooms the other night, it reminded me like, like oh yeah, I've been a little, doing a lot of things lately. I've never just <laughs> like just stopped to think. And I guess that's why I would do mushrooms to just, you know, go inside and observe yeah. uh, deeper what's going on there. Yeah, totally. And uh, well, you should go feed birds one day. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best drug. <laughs> uh, but, but I do. Yeah, totally. But it, um, it is. Uh, yeah, we get. It's just hard to break that cycle of, like I was saying, whenever I had some free time, I'd be like, okay, let me do something. You know what? How about you do nothing? Like, and by nothing, you're still doing something. Go out for a walk. Or (coughs) the feeding birds is almost, I think it's just a way to get me out to walk to the destination. And, but I do enjoy having them come sit on my hand. I do it almost every day and they, they eat and they leave. And sometimes I, I'm really involved thinking about the birds, mm-hmm. but sometimes I'm thinking about other stuff and I'm just sitting there in this meditative state feeding birds. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's become some, I th- like you might see me in 20 years being that old guy in the park who's always feeding the birds in the park i might be that guy you'll have a little squirrel nest yeah in in my (laughs) hair yeah oh the squirrels come too they come on me and they eat off my hands too the squirrels and the birds that's so cool i i I had a squirrel pet for a minute yeah yeah i know somebody else who did his name was pepito he fell off a tree and my ex-wife picked him up brought him home and had to like you know feed him with a little fucking mamadera um and it was fun and he would bud <laughs> into my dreads and take a nap there but then he would poop so you yeah, got yeah, all these pellets yeah. coming off and uh, <coughs> what happened in the end he grew he grew and he started getting more squirrely yeah so when i would come to him he'd like or bi- yeah. he bit me a couple of times and then he started chewing up all the cables in my office yeah. and then i'm like okay yeah this shit's too wild for yeah. like a domesticated pet yeah so we build him a little house yeah put him on the tree and hope for the best yeah. that he could survive winter because who knows yeah. if the lack of his motherly skills, yeah. you know? Yeah, shit, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead now. He was I, dead a month later. I spray painted his tail, so then we would recognize <laughs> him. Smart. It's like, oh, it's Pepito with the pink tail. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I've, yeah. Heard, I've heard the same story. Somebody else had a little one. That, yeah, you can't domesticate them. They, they end up going crazy and then they, they leave. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I think? Uh, but you're like feeding squirrels too, so that's fun. Yeah, yeah I did my mu- I did mushrooms the other day too, um, and I came up. Uh, man, I thought of some really cool. Um, something really cool happened to me, because um, I was I was on mushrooms. Now I only do mushrooms alone. <coughs> I go nice. off. Yeah. Yeah, because after all my ayahuasca ceremonies when I do mushrooms mm-hmm. kind of turns into ayahuasca mm-hmm. not as intense mm-hmm. but it's about like 
it just moves me. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't want to do that in front of people. Mm -hmm. I, I'll have to cry or mm -hmm. yell mm -hmm. or throw up sometimes. Mm -hmm. I just need to get my shit out. But mm -hmm. there's also good moments too. But that, those are also for myself. Yeah. 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 And I think there's conflicting energies when you're with other people. It's like, you know, I'm sure when you were 17, 18, just like me, you do mushrooms with your friends. Or if you didn't do mushrooms, then maybe smoke weed or whatever. And you'd goof around and laugh. <laughs> it's funny. And you laugh at funny things. And ah, it's a big funny thing. <laughs> and then you fall asleep. Yeah. But now it's like it's there, there it's not this funny thing anymore like i'd rather i don't need somebody else's energy to bounce off of i'm yeah. way happier with my own energy to bounce off of to right. absorb um because you're in good company in there sure and you can't go wrong because nobody's gonna say the wrong thing and make you start thinking something weird you know and uh -huh. and trigger you or yeah you don't totally. run that risk so i was doing mushrooms the other day and I went out I always take my skateboard and uh I go on these electric bixies the electric bikes like I'll skate and then I'll put the thing there and then I'll take the electric bike up the mountain and mm. it's really nice and no he stops you to talk or anything no 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 so you're on your own you're, you're mobile you yeah. can always get away if you need to so it's okay to be in the public like <laughs> you know you can get away quick right so I was thinking the whole trip, I was like, the last few trips this year was, was always ends with me being like, oh, everything's so good. Like life is so beautiful. Um, life is amazing. Um, and then I got home and I was in bed and I was closing my eyes and I started seeing all these like monsters and scary things. Mm. And... Uh, I don't like horror movies. I don't like masks. I don't like the visions of monsters. I don't like visual, gross, bloody things. Mm -hmm. All I was getting were visuals of bloody masks, monsters. Mm. I've had that too in some times. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. When you go to sleep, yeah. uh, when you're coming down on some psychedelic journey. I've had it before in the past, like just smoking like strong weed that's happened to me. And I, I but I don't really smoke weed anymore. So it affects me kind of weird when I do. So, mm. and, and it was always disturbing and I'd have to open my eyes and be like, Hey, yo, like get out of this, you know? Right. This time I was falling asleep and I was so at ease, mm -hmm. almost enjoying the morphing of gross, visuals mm -hmm. and I fell asleep to monsters where normally I'd open my eyes and try to shake myself and I think right. what that was was me spending the last five hours acknowledging how beautiful things are I was forced to see this imagery of the things that I don't find beautiful and re and I automatically was like no that's beautiful too Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's really, you know, like right. I was really at ease with it. And I fell asleep to beautiful images of disgusting things. You got to appreciate it for what it is, too, because sure. it's sometimes it's so weird that, that I know what you're talking about because it happens to me. And I'm not afraid. I was like, well, that's ugly, but I know it's not attacking me. There's nothing mm -hmm. to fear here. Mm -hmm. It's all inside me. Mm -hmm. But it's just so weird. I was like, well, am I making that up? Am I seeing mm -hmm. something that exists? Where is mm -hmm. this coming? What am I tuning in right now? Yeah. So it's, it's just mysterious. And I, I just go like, wow. 
Well, you know what? You say that, yeah, it's mysterious and you're like, wow, I think maybe, you know what? I think now that you mention it, it's the first time I thought about this. Maybe that's always my thing. Like, oh, this is weird. Like, why is this happening? I think maybe I tricked myself into believing that this was a sign showing me that these things can be beautiful too. But by tricking myself into thinking that those things are beautiful too, I realized that they actually are beautiful too. Mm -hmm. Maybe not beautiful in the visual sense, but there's a part of life and life is beautiful, right? Everything's God. Yeah, everything so. is God. Every, whether what we perceive to be negative or positive, it's all one thing. And so I think maybe I was like, oh no, that's, no, this is okay too. Mm -hmm. And I fell asleep thinking that, which is, I don't know. It's, it's a nice amazing. perspective, man. Sure. So we live in the world of duality, of, of good and bads and, mm -hmm. and all this stuff. Do you got any particular observation of the last year and a half that we've gone through? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, it's been pretty intense. I mean, every t in, my, in my opinion, things only have power if you give them the power mm -hmm. you know so if you give something the power to sway you it's going to sway you if you don't it has a harder time to sway you sometimes it sometimes things are avoidable you know mm -hmm. if something jumps up and scares you you're going to be frightened but if you condition yourself to uh realize that Every once in a while, something's going to jump up and scare you. You might not be scared when next time it happens. You, right. You know what I mean? Well, you learn that you'll be okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. I've yeah. jumped in the fire so many times. Every time I go on a trip, I get nervous. And I've traveled mm -hmm. a lot. And you would think that after traveling, you're like, oh, it's just another trip. I was like, but I've never been to India. Like, yeah. what if I'll never find a clean bathroom again? Yeah, and yeah, like, you know, yeah. we'll, you know, we'll all be strange. And this is a whole month. Like, mm -hmm. my mind just goes... But then I do a whole month in India. It's like, yeah, there were bumps and weird things. Like, you were fine. And I got to do that so many times to remind myself, everything's going to be fine, Chris, exactly. no matter what scares you. Yeah. So I think that you could draw a parallel to these, whatever's been, ha all these things that have been happening in the last year and a half with COVID and all that, um, to a lot of people who haven't, accepted the fact that crazy things in life happen and you're going to be okay um a lot of those people they're really in a state of shock right now um understandably um i think i've gone through a lot of crazy things in my life where when i see this it is something new but i know i'm going to be okay a lot of that has to do with like what's the worst case scenario like what do you think the general worst case scenario is of most people like for covid or the vaccine everything everything in general i guess death would be the ultimate bad thing to happen that's, but i'm at peace with death too that's exactly what i'm getting at so the ultimate like um but most people if you're not at peace with death this could be extremely scary. Anything can be extremely scary mm -hmm. because you're losing your family could be worse too. Well, yeah, sure. Because yeah, exactly. Like, what if I didn't do the correct thing yeah. and then my wife and kids died? Yeah. That could, you know. And if you, if you realize, I mean, a lot of things, this takes a lot of work, but a lot of things led me to be in a state where no matter what happens, 
I know I'm going to be fine. Worst mm -hmm. case scenario, I die. And I'm cool with that too. Mm -hmm. So if you, if, it takes a lot of work to get to that point though. Um, so everything that's going on right now, uh, I'm okay with it. Obviously, I don't like when people are getting sick. I don't like when pe I see people. It's, this is disturbing a lot of people's mental health. Mm -hmm. um, one, for one reason, the mental health thing could go two ways. There's the people who are so worried and they're so scared of COVID. It's really messing them up mentally. <coughs> the other side of how this is uh, affect, like, uh, and I'm talking about people who really need to be out there and hug people and that's, it's really affecting them mentally. But then there's the other people it's affecting them. The, the other people who, the other group of people who are getting mentally affected by this are the people who are constantly looking at the internet and taking in all this information. Um, the alternative sources. Yeah. Or as some people call it, conspiracy theories. Well, you know what? No, both sides. I okay. think the conventional, I think the conventional news outlets and what some people call as uh, conspiracy websites and news, mm -hmm. both sides are equally, it's disturbing them mentally right. because the average person who's watching mainstream media is constantly getting this thrown into their face. Well, it's almost, uh, it seems like to me at least, and this is a totally opinion, that the mainstream media is okay by shocking you into something that keeps your attention, so you keep mm -hmm. on watching them, but also if they are truly cahoots with the corporations and politicians that you know they work with, to have the population fearful makes it more malleable. Yeah. Now the conspiracy or alternative theory people, I don't think they want to make people afraid, but they're researching some dark information that might be true or not. Mm -hmm. It's still as scary, sometimes even more scary, because you realize how deep the dark force is you know, doing their thing. Yeah. And it's not really helping in the end, because like, the only way we're going to get out of this is when we like, raise our vibration and we know that everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. And like, we keep that vibe of uh, like, uh, optimism and mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're like, oh shit, we're fucked. We're going to be a bunch of technocratical slaves and there's no way out of this. Uh, that's going to help manifest it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. That is helping manifesting it. Uh, and here's my, here's my little theory that yesterday, uh, just yesterday I was thinking about this because I really try not to think about this type of stuff so much, but um, I made this observation where <coughs> I realized that what people are doing right now, they're scanning the internet or news, whatever news sources they have and they they're gathering information because they're afraid of the enemy there are people are afraid of the enemy so they're gathering all this information about what the enemy is trying to do to them so in fear they're like okay i gotta see what the fuck these guys are up to like oh shit oh my god they're doing this they're doing that yo this is putting us in a really fucked up position right now they're gathering this information they're like oh my god people need to know about this they share it on Facebook. They share this. Look what the enemy's doing. Somebody else in that friend group is like, 
oh man, that's, that's crazy. Like, I feel you, like I could really resonate with this because there's other stuff that I know about this that they're doing. Hey, have you seen this? And next thing, and they're all doing this from a place of fear. Next thing you know, they're spreading this forest fire of fear <laughs> to everybody and everybody's on board. They're like, yo, that's crazy. And now that turns to anger. Yo, they're doing this. Yo, fuck the enemy. They're doing this now. And then it's spreading. And then next thing you know, somebody from the enemy side infiltrates and is like, no, no, it's not like that. It's because of this. Next, Now these people are getting in arguments with... Because each is rigid in their own point of view. Of course. And you know what? The enemy has facts to back up his point of view, facts on the internet that are completely contradictory and they're both. And so now you got, because of the internet, each side with opposing views has facts backing up. So you're like, well, what the fuck? Each side has facts. So what, but the thing is, what I realized yesterday, all these people spreading this information, they're doing, other than spreading information, they're not doing shit about it other than spreading the information, okay? So who's the enemy now? When I say people, you know, who's the enemy? The enemy is in this scenario, the enemy could be Babylon system and the government um, enforcing vaccinations and other means, you know, to, to take control of people. Or the enemy could be the anti-vaxxers who are uh, really fucking up shit for the people who are really trying to just get over this uh this covid thing right you know what i mean so both sides have an it's, enemy right and both sides have tons of propaganda uh triggering emotions mm -hmm. like you know when i tell people that, you know that i don't vax they might come up with a bunch of stereotypes that they're going to throw on me all of a sudden that mm -hmm. have nothing to do with me but that's what the mainstream would tell them, like, oh, if you're not vaccine, you're some stupid person or whatever yeah. they want to say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the other way on the other way. Side too. So I, I'm just like, I'm just doing me. You do you. Good vibes and love to everybody. We all got the same intention of wanting to be happy and free and do what we love. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing um, off of what you just said. Uh, what I det what I realized, like in my head and based off my little calculations, uh, when I realize that all these people who are spreading this information and not doing shit about their problem other than spreading the information, I realize that 80%, I think like a good 80% of the population who has access to computers, 80% of that population is just spreading this, um, fear-based information and the funny thing is side note when you're in fear that's exactly where the enemy wants you the enemy wants you to be in fear and be like hey look at these guys they're all really afraid of us right now and they're spreading this info around acting like they're doing something they're not doing shit but being on their fucking computer screens all Seems day it's like they're acting from a point of weakness they are they Instead are position of empowerment and sorry to cut you off but that that, that so that 80 percent that's what they're doing then there's 10 percent who i think are acting from uh, they are trying to push their agenda they are actually engaged in a battle 
the 10% of the world are actually moving up with their things, whether it be one side or the other, they're actually engaging in some kind of battle that's actually going somewhere. Okay? I don't know who's going to win, but mm -hmm. I think they're actually doing something. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's say you could take the standpoint of, um, of the, the people who are fighting against the government. Like, they're actually proactively fighting against government and this system. Or there's the other people who are, like, uh, fighting to try to win this war to just, in their view, make everybody safe again they're actually fighting against the anti-vaxxers and they're trying to so there's 10 percent of the world that are actually fighting of actual battle right but living according to their ethics and beliefs yes but then they're yeah they, they're living according to their ethics and their beliefs and they're actually doing something to push their agenda uh, that's 10 percent. the other 10 percent are just closing the fucking computer and realizing how beautiful this life is mm -hmm. and choosing to not even give a shit what the other 90% are doing. And I kind of feel that that's where I am. Mm -hmm. So it's like life is too beautiful to engage in any battle, whether it's a battle that's actually pushing a, an agenda or a battle that's going absolutely nowhere. Man, like life is too beautiful. Like I, I look, I, I feed birds, I hang out with my cat. <laughs> I like I like art. You're I like, like a granny. I'm like a what? Like a cool granny. A cool <laughs> granny. I'm a cool granny. But I mean, honestly, like when I observe what's going on right now, I think that's my lane. I chose my lane. I got in where I fit in. This is where I fit. Some mm. people fit in the lane where they need to boost their ego and anger and fear and go on the internet all day and then they could go to sleep at night like at least I spread that information even though it's not going anywhere they might feel good about that I have a feeling they all feel like shit but some of them might feel good about that and then some people really like rioting in the streets and they're fighting for their cause and they might go to sleep feeling good about that I like going to sleep with my cat after a day of feeding birds <laughs> I agree and I honor you for trying to find your personal peace as I said before um it's about vibration, you know, mm. like, and I think to some degree, it's good that we're aware what the quote unquote negative forces are doing from the, you know, from the shadows so that we don't get tricked into, you know, parallel futures that might not agree with us. Mm -hmm. So it's good to like be like, oh, actually, no, I don't want this passport. Thank you very much. Mm. And that's where we got to see like. Can we sign a petition? Can we protest? Can mm -hmm. I discuss with the waiter at the restaurant who's not letting me in? Like, what, what do I do? Or do I leave town and go to a place where it allows me to be the way I want because yeah. I don't want to fight anybody? Yeah. So yeah. I ask you, mm -hmm. you just want to close the computer and cuddle with your cat. Mm -hmm. But what if you want to go out on a date with a girl at a restaurant and you're not allowed anymore? Yeah, I it's, mean... It's hitting you in the face. You can't close that computer. Um, you can I mean, here's the thing, when they talk about, here's the thing, like, I think that's completely fucking ridiculous <coughs> that I can't, I, I can't do that, but I don't want to come at this through too much of a, I don't want to take a side. Well, no, I don't want to come across extremely passive and whatever happens, happens, man. Like, I don't want to like come across too much like that. 
although that is a big part of me. Um, but when I see what they deem as non-essential services, to me, they're not very essential. Like, as long as I can get food, like, why the fuck should I go spend my money at some restaurant that like, I mean, but I like to support my friends who do have restaurants, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like a, a tricky balance, but like a lot of this shit is not essential. Um, I do, I do worry about travel. Yeah. Cause I love traveling. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, this is like a whole other conversation. Ultimately, um, we as humans, uh it's 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 one of the goals of mine to not let anything external affect my internal so if i get thrown in prison for the rest of my life i want to be able to be completely cool with that mm. so forget about flying to india right like when 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 my goal is to sit in a cave somewhere or in prison and completely be cool with it that's mm -hmm. my goal right i don't want to go to jail yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I'm, but that's I'm, like the ultimate shitty thing that could happen to a human while it's still alive it is so yeah so here's the thing it's like i would love to be able to say that not being able to fly somewhere does not affect me i'm not at that level of like spiritual guru sit in the sit in the middle in jail and be happy with it i'm not at that level mm -hmm. um i i mean i'm just i just hope that everything and i know this is going to make a lot of people mad who say that we have to like fight for our rights for this but i i'm just hoping that this will blow over and that eventually i will be able to travel mm -hmm. uh and I know a lot of people say, oh, your compliance is part of the problem. Maybe, but I mean, as long as you're... I think it's, it's vibration. So tricky, the battle is in vibration. Yeah, so if you're, you're so right. if you're vibing good, Macer, you're doing good. At least to, in my point of view of what reality is about. Yeah, yeah. If you're happy and you're at peace and you're optimistic about the future, you're helping attract that positive future. And yes, right. sometimes we do have to be proactive in this physical realm we're at. Mm. But if that proactivity ruins your vibe, then that's not proactive and actually you know everything's emptiness mm -hmm. you know there's just emptiness and consciousness working through it so it's mm -hmm. important that our consciousness is is you know in tune with the world we want to bring forth yeah i think you're right you're really right about that and to be honest my vibration is uh i'm completely content with it Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> great good job thank you yeah, man. is there some final words of wisdom you'd like to share with our viewers before we sign off uh hmm uh yeah sure i just brought this up with somebody yesterday too so and it has a lot to do one time i was in india and I asked somebody, I, I saw this sadhu by the side of the Ganges. He was living in garbage, right? And uh, I look at this guy and I'm like, and I asked him, I'm like, are you happy? And he says, happy, sad, same. Life is life, God is God. And I was like, wow. I'm like, I got to get to that point. 
Everything is everything. Everything is everything. Life is life. Happy, sad, same. It's like happy. He said happy, no happy, same. Um, I'm not trying to tell people to not be happy. But accept it when it does happen. Accept not being happy. Mm -hmm. uh, they say that, uh, uh, what did this Ram Das thing? He says, um, quiet your mind, open your heart, and make friends with suffering. The making friends with suffering is very key. Don't try to engage with suffering, but when suffering comes your way, make friends with it because it's going to happen. And right. if you're cool with it, and when happy, no happy, same happens, and you're cool with that, you're on fire. You're unstoppable. You have a superpower. So mm -hmm. I think those two things, happy, no happy, same, life is life, God is God, and make friends with suffering, you're going to be good. You're good. <laughs> life is beautiful. I love it. Thank yeah, you man. so much, man. My I appreciate man. Thank it. Thank you, Chris. That was a beautiful conversation. Yeah. And... Thank you guys for watching another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. Hope you enjoy this beautiful man here and the great things he had to say. Uh, please like, share, comment, subscribe, press stars and shit. And oh, one more thing. Yeah. Uh, my YouTube channel. Yeah, his YouTube channel. Um, Check it out. Yeah, my YouTube channel. Um, just this with Macer. It's just this. <laughs> it's me doing things, uh, all types of things. Just this with Macer. Chris is going to put a link in the description down there. Woo! Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next episode. Blessing! Next episode, my guest will be Stella Straisoska. Uh, I first experienced what meditation was, and I had never understood it. It was like, I just thought it was somebody just sitting and breathing. But like I had a, uh, like, I'll give you an example. One of my experiences where I just kept breathing away tension until there was no tension left and all of a sudden I entered silence. And I had never heard silence before. I was like, oh my God, this is what meditation was. And it like changed my whole world. Then a light came out of the sky and came down to me. It's like, are you ready to be part of the light? And I was like, fuck yeah. And there was like angels and Buddhas dancing in the clouds. So please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Big thanks, and see you next episode. Peace.